Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen and I work for Danfoss Cooling. Thank you for listening in on this podcast, which is chapter 12 in a series about evaporative cooling. Well, that is, in fact, I'll be talking about electricity and electronics in the next chapters. Um, but it's still intended for people that wants to know a bit about uh, the different techniques and topics that relates to refrigeration. So let's start with a recall of a few things that about electricity that you probably have learned in school at some stage and how it behaves and how we can control it. Electricity is very simply explained a movement of electrons through a conductive matter. A conductive matter is a material which, which has got loosely bound electrons to the atomic core of the particular material, like copper for instance. I'm sure you know that copper is a great electrical conductor, which is also why we use it for cables. There are a lot of other conductive materials at hand, some better than others, and then there are matters that does not conduct at all. They insulate electricity by not being able to conduct the electrical charge. And again, you know that plastic does indeed insulate the cables from before. Electricity happens when you have an electrical charge that wants to move elsewhere as soon as it gets the chance. The charge can be positive, that's usually the protons bound to the atomic core, or negative, which is usually the electrons that circulate that atomic core. The two different charges, the positive and negative, wants to equalize so that they attract each other, whereas two negative charges or two positive charges repel each other. So if you have a positive charge in some material, it'll seek to move to a place where you have a negative charge. Just think of a battery where you have a positive and a negative end, and if it gets the chance to connect, like a wire or another short circuit of sorts, the positive charge will immediately race towards the negative end. That ability is, of course, what we want in order to get it worked on, like light in a torch or maybe a motor or a fan or whatever, so we put the task or job in between the charged poles. The light bulb or LED sits between positive and negative pole in a torch, so we just need to switch the flow on and off to control the flow charge. The amount of charge is measured in volt, which is also why we call it voltage. So if we have a 1.5 volts in the battery, you can mount another one on top of that and you will get 3 volts. And one more and you have 4.5 volt, And so on. And if you like, you could keep on building. But often it doesn't really make a lot of sense. You have, you have a power grid, the mains power, running most likely to a power plug in the room you're in. So why not use that? Yes, you're correct. That's an entirely different type of electricity you have there. It's probably even lethal, so you should treat it with respect it demands. And there you have AC, not just like a battery where you have DC. AC stands for alternating current, whereas DC stands for direct current. Current is the amount of charge or 
amount of electrons that is conducted through the cable or matter, and it's measured in ampere, aka amps. So now we have voltage and we have amps, and together they're capable of performing work or power, which is measured in watts. Alternating current means that the charge of or the electrical current changes direction inside the conductor with a stable frequency. So one moment the current runs in one direction and the next it runs in the opposite. The stable frequency with which the AC is distributed differs from country to country. So in most of Europe you have 50 Hz and in US you have 60 Hz. Uh, so you need to know what you're dealing with locally. Now, depending on where you are, also the voltage that you get out of the mains power will differ. Again, in most Europe, the nominal one-phase voltage is 230 volt, whereas in the US, the nominal one-phase voltage is 120 volt. With alternating current, you also get three phases, plus ground slash neutral, where you have a different voltage between the, the different phases. Again, in Europe, you would have 400 volts, and in the US, you would have 240. Be sure you have sufficient earthing at the spot where you repair or build your system. In places far from a power plant, you would have quite a voltage difference between earth and neutral and thereby risk faulty voltage to your system. At best, you should establish a new earthing rod. So what you do is to introduce a converter or power supply between the mains power and the equipment that you are working with. You know, like a mobile phone charger or power supply to your computer and so on. You know them. Now you have obtained power link from the mains power to the equipment that you want to operate in your system and you want to control the different parts like fans, compressor, and maybe an electronic expansion valve, and probably even the electrical defrosting. So when we move into the controlling systems, we need a few more insights, like what type of signals from the sensors do we need to work with, and what type of signals do we want the controller to send out to the different parts. Analog signals typically comes from sensors that works with a variable resistance, like a temperature sensor. As an example, the PT1000 sensor, a positive temperature coefficient sensor, where the electrical resistance rises in the sensor tip with the temperature. At zero degrees Celsius, that's 32 Fahrenheit, the resistance is 1000 ohm. And at plus 50 degrees Celsius, the resistance is almost 1200 ohm. And at minus 50 degrees Celsius, the resistance is almost 800 ohm. Also, pressure sensors may send analog signals either as a variable voltage or current. You will need to know what type of signal your sensor sent in order to be able to set your controller correctly. The most simple refrigeration controllers usually are without much external communication. But when we address the controller types that communicates, then we also need to discuss the digital communication. Digital signals, I'm sure you know, is zeros and ones, 
Well, actually, it's the binary system, but the digital signal usually consists of zeros and ones. So it's not all wrong. It's just that we need to look at the electrical in the signal, then it becomes a bit more tricky. Because when it, when is a signal zero and when is it one? And what is more, the entire electrical world or electrical environment is filled with noise and what we could call electrical pollution. So we need to make sure that what we receive of digital or any signal at all, in fact, is what we are supposed to receive. Speaking of electrical noise, we also need to take another thing into account, and that's magnetism. I'm sure you've learned that if you have an electrical cable or LED running across a compass, the compass needle will turn, so also magnetism, or rather electromagnetism, is something we need to take into account. Because it also works the other way, that a magnetic field will have an electrical influence on a signal. And it's obviously the smaller, weaker signals that will be influenced first. So, you should not run cables to a motor, for instance, next to a sensor signal or a communication line. Keep a good distance and use the correct types of cable, the shielded, twisted pair for communication. Why do we get electrical noise? Well, the simple explanation is called induction which is exactly what electromagnetism is about. You know, if you curl up an electrical cord, you literally turn it into a coil, which will work as an electromagnet. And that's also how a solenoid valve works, for instance. At the instance you turn off the coil, the release of the magnetism will induce a voltage spike in the opposite direction of the activation voltage. These electrical spikes can be quite serious, depending on the power of induction, and worst case, it could kill sensitive electrical equipment in those connected systems. The sp these spikes are also known as electrical transients, and are basically the root of all evil. Luckily, we know about these beasts, so we know how to protect equipment against these spikes. There's a long list of electromagnetic noise sources to take into account, like coffee machines, zero machines, laser printers, or many motors you'll see in a normal domestic environment, like vacuum cleaners, dishwashers, and also fluorescent lamps. And obviously, you'll, you, if you move out into an industrial environment, things get even worse. So you're more or less surrounded by bad electromagnetics. But back to the talk about signals, if we look at the analog signals, the value are most, mostly treated as average over a period. A transient or two doesn't really make the big difference. It's worth with digital communication where the transients could be interpreted as a bit, a binary value. So it's absolutely important that you use the correct types of cables, that you keep the distance to power cables, that you terminate the communication lines correctly and that you follow the best practices for communication lines in general. We will address this in the next podcast. We would greatly appreciate feedbacks and suggestions to future refrigeration topics or if you have specific questions to this episode, please leave a comment on the Chilling with the End SoundCloud page.
I look forward to hearing from you. We would also appreciate if you would click like, share and repost to help us spread the word about chilling with Jens and evaporative refrigeration. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, stay cool. This podcast was brought to you by Danfoss Cooling. Please feel welcome to visit us at danfoss.com and maybe sign up for one of our cool e-learning classes. Thank you. Thank you.